I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be the people of God? This is the question that I invite you to ponder as we meditate or chew upon God's word that we've heard this morning. It is the question we need to face at this juncture of our life together as a Christian community. Let's begin with Psalm 51. On the last Sunday of Lent, we have just recited together the same psalm we recited on Ash Wednesday. This speaks to the cyclical nature of the brokenness of human life. This psalm is meant to be wailed, not read. Painful words admitting wickedness, fault, guilt, a troubled spirit, sin, evil, create a deep lament of our need for God and come from the soul of someone who is deeply troubled. But the psalmist asks not just for forgiveness. It is an all-out plea for starting all over, using words such as purge, blot out, create in me a clean heart. This prayer is not looking for cheap grace and rejects human effort. Notice the play between I and you. Only you, O oh God, can create anew in my inward parts. Only you can create a new heart and a renewed spirit. As one commentator wrote, hidden in the psalmist's desperation is the key to healing. God's grace that can take the dust of our broken hearts and generate abundant life. The psalm outlines the paradox of the Christian life. Our healing will come through our sinfulness, not in spite of it. A few hundred years later, Jeremiah echoes David's hope. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant they broke. But this is the covenant I will make. I will put my laws within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. Both passages speak to what Barbara Brown Taylor speaks of, that in the Christian life, Christians are called to understand God's, God's grace as something more than the infinite remission of our sins. If we want to take part in the divine work of redemption, then we will also must understand God's grace as the gift of regeneration. But the creation of this new heart would be made possible only by what we know is the promised Messiah's demonstration of perfect love through the shedding of his blood. Who is this son of man echoes through the ages. The shadow of the Christ embracing his hour of destiny plays across this promise God uttered hundreds of years before Christ when he revealed that God's glory 
would be found in the suffering of the cross. Jeremiah 31, the prophet alludes to this broken covenant, the covenant of the tablets, the law that the people were unable to keep. Jeremiah speaks to the inability of the human heart to meet God's standard. He offers God's promise of a new heart, God's instructions for living written on everyone's heart. We might be tempted to think that sin should become a thing of the past. But imagining a world without sin challenges what we experience every day. If we idealize this passage, we risk the danger of disillusionment and shock when we encounter sin in our camp. We become judgmental of others and cling to a false sense of who we are. Rather, we should view this text as an eschatological promise. There may and there is moments of the already. We do experience joy and hope through the Holy Spirit written on our hearts. We know that because our hearts have been recreated to love God, we are able to give this love to one another from the abundance of his love, which truly does dwell in our hearts. But while we do experience these moments of the already, it seems often the promise of perfection is largely not yet. Faithful people, then as now, live by hope, not the false dreams of a broken humanity. This is why the author of Hebrews refers to Christ as a priest forever, the one who is still interceding for us and with us and forgiving us, who continues to allow us to walk in the light of his forgiveness as our high priest who mediated for us with the Father, who now sees us in Christ forever, despite our continued forays into the darkness of sin. These four passages we have heard this morning set up for us the meaning of Passion Tide, the two-week period that begins today. This is the time when we will hail the coming of our Messiah with palms and then walk with Christ to the cross and his embrace of human suffering to pay the price of human sin and then witness how the power of the resurrection can find a home in our hearts so that we and those around us can truly live new lives. We look to the gift of the Holy Spirit made available through the resurrection of Christ, that gift that places us in Christ. So back to the original statement. I will be your God, and you will be my people. What does it mean to be the people of God? First, it means that we find our sole identity being in Christ, together, forgiven. It means we can wail with David when we discover that we are far from perfect and yet still embrace that eschatological hope of someday having a heart so pure 
we will no longer separate ourselves from God and for each, from each other. It means that we can embrace the present. It means we can rest in God's forgiveness. Forgiveness is not an option. It is mandatory because when we realize God's forgiveness, we are able to forgive each other. But reconciliation is something different. That is when two people ask forgiveness of each other. And that is only possible when we truly embrace God's forgiveness of us. So it means that we share together a high priest who has forgiven us so we can forgive each other. It means we embrace hope always. This past week, I reread a portion of Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I was actually prompted to pick up the book by my own musings when I wrote out the phrase, what is our life together? Post the trauma that has divided our community. Bonhoeffer wrote Life Together after his experience in living in community with a group of seminarians that abruptly ended. Facing increasing scrutiny and persecution by the Nazi regime, the seminary was closed in 1939. But living under its specter and dangers, Bonhoeffer and the seminarians he directed came to the realization that only in their reliance on Jesus' presence among them could they face down the threat at their doorstep. And only after the seminary was closed would Bonhoeffer dare write about their experiment. And in this book, he details how their relationship to each other was sustained by the daily reading of the word, worship, and their intercessory prayers for one another, examples we shall well heed. But Bonhoeffer's words that spoke deeply to me regard, were regarding the power of embracing forgiveness and our unity in the spirit and what happens when we don't. Since Bonhoeffer's words dovetail so well with our scripture meditation this morning, I would like to end with reading an extended portion of the first chapter, which is entitled Christian Community. Bonhoeffer begins by stating, Christian community means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. The goal of all Christian community is to encounter one another's as bearers of Christ. Our community is based only on Jesus Christ and the forgiveness made possible that the Father sees us in Christ and through his alien righteousness. Only in Jesus Christ are we one. Only through him are we bound together. So beginning with these high words, Bonhoeffer then asks, why do Christian communities fail? Bonhoeffer explains that within Christian community, there exists two kinds of love. Emotional love, which is calculating, manipulating, and self-serving, versus spiritual love, which is like Christ's love, the love that is willing to die to self, who follows Christ in the self-sacrificing love our gospel passage spoke of today, deferential, humble, unconditional, 
and recognizes the true image of the other person from the perspective of Christ himself, loving each other for who we are as those for whom Christ became incarnate for and died for and who are risen with Christ in the power of the Spirit. But listen to his words. Our community consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. The deeper our community becomes, the more everything negative between us will recede, and the more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the only one thing that is alive between us. Christian community is not an ideal, but a divine reality. These are Bonhoeffer's words. Serious Christians who are put in community for the first time will often bring with themselves a very definite image of what Christian communal life should be, and they will be anxious to realize it. But God's grace quickly frustrates all such dreams. A great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we're for fortunate, disillusionment with ourselves is bound to overwhelm us as surely as God desires to lead us to the understanding of genuine Christian community. Only that community which enters into the experience of this great disillusionment with all its unpleasantness and evil appearances begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we simply participate. The Christian cannot take for granted the privilege of living among other Christians. It is by God's grace that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly around God's word and sacrament in the world. Bonhoeffer ends with this paragraph in this, this particular chapter. We hold fast in faith to God's greatest gift that God has acted for us all and wants to act for us all. This makes us joyful and happy, but it also makes us ready for, to forgive. We are bound together by faith, not by our weaknesses. For Jesus Christ alone is our unity. He is our peace. We have access to one another, joy in one another, community with one another through Christ alone. We have one another completely and for all eternity." End quote. In about 12 days, we will be celebrating the night that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, commanding his disciples to reenact a meal in which these words must always be repeated. This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Because we cannot safely share a Passover meal together on Monday, Thursday, we are hoping we will be able to have an outdoor service 
beginning with washing each other's feet. I am hoping that many of you will come bringing your children to engage in this embodiment of all that I have just shared here. Servant community, embracing hope, love, and forgiveness. Amen.